The British intellectual whose journey from being an agnostic to a believer in Christ is well documented, C.S. Lewis, had a quote. C.S. Lewis said, if, if the gospel is true, then it is of infinite importance. If, if it is not true, the message of Jesus is not true, it is of no importance. The one thing it cannot be it cannot be moderately important. And if we're not careful, well, that's exactly what happens at Christmas, isn't it? If we're not careful, the message of Jesus, the story of Jesus becomes, well, moderately important. Sort of important. Culturally important. It's something we talk about. It's something we sing about. It's a holiday we observe. But it's not something that really changes our life or shapes the direction of our life. Even as followers of Christ, even those who may consider themselves Christians, can fall into this, this pit of it just seeing it as moderately important. That is, it's, it's kind of a religious thing, and religion is a part of our life, and, you know, occasionally we go to church or we think about certain things, but it's not enough to call us to sacrifice. It's not enough to call us to really change the way we're living. It's not enough to cause us to turn and go in a different direction. It certainly isn't the most important thing driving our life. It's just somewhat, you know, moderately important. I wonder if C.S. Lewis is right. I wonder if he's right that that is just simply not an option. If you have your Bibles, the story in the book of Luke, chapter 2, found in verse 25, is, is a part of the Christmas narrative, but it's one of those parts of the Christmas narrative that is, is less known, less talked about. And I really think I understand why, because while other things can be easily pictured on a Christmas card, this story, not as much. It also happens, I suppose, a few days after Christmas, and that might have something to do with it. The Bible tells us in Luke 2 that it was eight days after Jesus was born that Mary and Joseph, his mother and father, took him up the road to Jerusalem where he would be circumcised. That is according to Jewish law and custom. He would then be formally named. At that time, there in the temple, he was given the name Jesus, which is Greek for the Hebrew Joshua, which means the Lord saves. It would then be another 33 days when, according to Jewish law, that they would go back to the temple, Mary and Joseph, for what amounted to a rite of purification. Her days of specified uncleanness would be over, and so they would go back to the temple. And this story probably happens then 40 days after the birth of Jesus Christ. Mary and Joseph with the infant child there in the temple come across two individuals, both of them aged, an older man named Simeon and an older woman by the name of Anna. We read about this encounter in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. One of our customs at Calvary is to stand together in honor of the Word of God. And so if you would join us in standing just out of honor to the Bible, I want to read from this passage in Luke 2, verse 25. The Bible says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God day and night with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Father, we are looking for redemption. We too are looking for hope, for salvation, for ourselves and for the world. Help us on this Christmas Eve to see what they saw, to know what they knew, to believe as they believed that we may too find in Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, true and living hope is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a story from the art galleries of Europe, I am told, about a guard who watched over the Mona Lisa painting. Tourists would come and view the painting, some of them with knowledge and intelligent and others just casually knowing the painting was famous. I'm told of a tourist, probably an American, who came out a little too loud and probably a little too arrogant and definitely a little too ignorant and stood there for a moment looking at the Mona Lisa and then finally huffed under his breath, doesn't look like that big a deal to me. To which the guard said, sir, This painting is no longer on display. What he meant was not that the painting wasn't on display, but display of another kind. He said, sir, this painting is not on display. The people are. What he was saying is this painting has long ago been judged a masterpiece by those who know about such things. We're no longer taking a vote on whether or not it was a good painting The people are the ones on display. How they respond to the painting says far more about them than it really does the painting. Jesus is 40 days old. He's there in the temple 
and the old man, Simeon. The Bible doesn't tell us how old he is, but he appears to be closer to death. And he is someone who has held on to a promise he believes God has given him. And it was this promise, that he wouldn't die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. People have been waiting centuries to see the Messiah, but somehow Simeon believed, a devout man, the Bible says, that he would see him before he died. And that day in the temple, perhaps he was a priest, the Bible doesn't say, he sees the child. He takes him in his arms and declares that this is the promised Messiah. He says, I can now die in peace because I have seen your salvation. I have seen the one you have sent for all people, for Gentiles as well as Jews. And then he prophesies over this baby. He utters a word of prophecy. At the same time, there is an old woman. Her name is Anna. She had to be over 100 years of age. She had been married for seven years, a widow for 84, at an age of her marriage, and she might have been 105, 6, or 7. She was an old woman. And she would come every day to the temple praying and fasting. She had little else, really, to occupy her time. She was focused on devotion to God. And that day, when she saw the young couple, she too knew this was the Messiah. And the Bible says, at that moment, she began to give thanks and to speak about him, that is Jesus, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. The verdict of Jesus is in. It was determined by a vote of one when God the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The question on this Christmas Eve is not really so much about who Jesus is, so much as who we are. It's not so much about what's in his heart as much as it is what is in your heart. How do you respond to him? That says everything. When the old man took Jesus in his arms and, and gave thanks that this was the promised Messiah, he then did something that doesn't find its way into many Christmas cards. He uttered a word of prophecy. That is, he spoke a word over this child he believed God had given him. But what he said doesn't make for a pastoral Christmas scene. He said, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many. This child is destined to cause some people to rise up and others to fall down. Some will rise and some will fall. He expounds on that a bit when he says he is a sign that will be opposed. Many are going to oppose him. He then turns to Joseph and Mary, but particularly Mary, to say, and a sword will pierce your own soul. And the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. The thoughts of many hearts have been revealed from that Christmas to this one. The thoughts of many hearts are revealed by how you respond to that child, to Jesus. He causes the rising and the falling of many. 
And that's what I want to talk to you about just for a few moments. The rise and the fall at Christmas. The rise and the fall. Because the Bible is saying some people will rise and others will fall. And it all comes down to this. What do you do with this child born in Bethlehem whose name was Jesus? Some will rise. Salvation is promised. I remind you of what Mary said in Luke chapter 1 verse 50. After the angel appeared to her and she was pregnant with child, she exclaimed in a kind of song that God's mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He's done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered, listen to these words, he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and he has exalted the lowly. He's toppled the mighty, some will fall, and he's exalted the lowly, some will rise. This child will cause the fall and the rise of many. You will fall or rise based on this child, based on how you respond to Jesus. Some will rise. Salvation is found in Jesus. Both Simeon and Anna recognized who Jesus was. They knew salvation was found in him. Simeon said it's come for all the Gentiles as well as Israel. They knew that salvation, being rescued, being made right with God was found in Jesus. That he comes to save us, to rescue us, to give us life. And Jesus causes the rising of many, that is the saving of many. Romans 10.9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confession. Belief that Jesus Christ is is Lord. What makes Christmas Eve such an important thing to those of us who follow Christ is that we understand who he is and we have confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart that Jesus Christ truly is the Lord. On Christmas Eve, we celebrate not the birth of simply a great moral leader or a great religious example or a great teacher, but it is this singular conviction that Jesus Christ is not a mere man. He is not simply a religious figure. He is the son of the living God. He is God in human form, and that in confessing Jesus as Lord, those who get low enough and humble enough to confess him as their Lord, they shall be raised up. They shall be saved. He causes the rising of many. Simeon and Anna recognized who Jesus was. Do you? Why is it that we believe Jesus is the son of the living God? It's the words that he said he claimed to be God. It's the actions that he took. He did things that only God could do. He went around telling people their sins were forgiven. It was the way he lived. 
without sin, without blemish. It was the miracles he demonstrated. And ultimately, the death he died and the fact that three days later he was raised from the dead. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The theologian N.T. Wright says it this way, He was and is the Messiah and God in the flesh. He says, Jesus tells a story about a yearning heavenly father to account for his own behavior. He speaks about the law as if he wrote it. He declares himself to be divine wisdom. He announces forgiveness of sins. He believed himself called to do and be what in the scriptures only God did and only God was. We believe and declare that through faith in Jesus Christ as God's only Son sent to save us, the lowly are raised up. He causes the rising of many. He also causes the falling of many. There's a rising and a falling at Christmas. This prophecy promises conflict opposition, even a sword. It speaks of a kind of war. And Jesus does create conflict. He comes as the prince of peace, but often conflict must precede peace. Jesus forces people to choose. And there is a sense in which Jesus divides people. People must choose either to accept him or to reject him. I mean, if someone comes along and claims to have authority over your life, you can't be neutral about that. You either accept it or you reject it. And throughout history, people have tried to find a middle ground, but Simeon's proclamation, along with the entire life of Jesus, tells us There is no middle ground available when it comes to Jesus. It's of either infinite importance or no importance. Nothing in the middle. Jesus creates conflict with people. Jesus creates conflict within ourselves. Simeon was speaking to Mary specifically when he said she would have significant pain in her heart. A sword will pierce her soul, which lets you know he's speaking figuratively. It will pierce your soul. Something is going to stab your heart. Imagine telling a mother with a baby just weeks old, this child will cause your heart to be broken. That's what he's saying. People have conflict within because of Jesus. We we, we want to come to God on our terms. We want to be mildly religious. We want to think of Jesus as the nice guy who gave people a better way to live. But that Jesus is a myth, and it is not what the Gospels claim. Jesus calls us to repentance. That means to change your mind and to change your life. Jesus calls us to die to ourself and to acknowledge our sin in order that we may live. He calls us to admit it. I'm wrong. And to confess that he is Lord. And that stings. It stings too much for some of us. It's like antiseptic. It stings, but then it heals. 
Modern people, people in our culture, I think look at Jesus as moderately important. Even some people who think they're Christians. We think that if someone just lives the right kind of life and does the right kind of things, they can find God. And that Christianity is being far too exclusive to say you have to come through Jesus Christ. But the reality is it's exactly the opposite. Those who claim that if you would simply live a good life, be moral enough and do the right things, you will be accepted by God. It is they who are being too exclusive. Jesus comes along and says the gospel isn't for those who have just lived morally. Jesus welcomes sinners, people who have not been moral, who have not done the right thing. And the Bible says we're adopted into his family, not because we have our act together, but precisely because we don't. Receiving Jesus is easy, but repentance is not. Tim Keller says it this way, all you need to come to God is nothing. But most people don't have that. We want to bring our something. Jesus causes the rising and the falling at Christmas. But I would say he not only causes a rising and a falling, but a rising again. This child, Simeon says, would be opposed He would be pierced literally, as well as many people who have followed him, who have been literally harmed and suffered and even lost their lives. He's opposed today. Christmas around the world is a dangerous place for many Christians who worship him. And it wouldn't surprise any of us to hear today or tomorrow about Christians who suffer simply because they gather to worship Jesus during the Christmas season. It is the opposition to Jesus. That reveals the true character of the human heart. How does one respond to pure love? How does one respond to God's love? How does one respond to this masterpiece? It says everything about who we are. We celebrate at Christmas because this part of the prophecy, suffering and opposition, is only part. For Simeon said, again, Mine eyes have seen your salvation. The promise of Christmas is this. The one who would fall, that is Jesus. Who would suffer, that is Jesus. Would rise again and would reign forever. It is also a reminder that all those who fall in humility and brokenness and confession before him will also rise with him. This is our hope. That Jesus is the Lord of all and that this Christmas Eve is a reminder that while all things have not yet been set right, he will one day make all things new. There is a falling at Christmas, but there is a rising again that will one day occur. And that is why this day is a day of celebration and hope. So on this Christmas Eve, the child has come. Jesus stands as the towering figure in human history. Who was he? Is it possible that he is really the Christ, the son of the living God? If he is, this is of infinite importance. 
If he is not, it's of no importance. What it cannot be is moderately important. So you come at Christmas. You will consider the child. And you will, like everyone before you, make a choice. And the choice you make will reveal our hearts. It is the rising and the falling on Christmas Eve. And I'm wondering this morning, have you ever made your choice to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there ever been that moment where you came to him empty-handed to ask for his grace and believing upon his name, know that he loved you and that he would save you? That is why he came, that you might receive that gift. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me before we pray? If you're here today and you've never before put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, perhaps even today you would make that choice. Perhaps even today you might pray a simple prayer in your heart. You might say, living God, I believe that you're real and that Jesus came for me. I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. And I want to live as if it's the most important thing in the world because I see it is. Forgive me of my sin. Come to live within my heart. I put my trust in Jesus. Be my Savior. Before I pray for you, when you came in today, there was an insert in the worship bulletin that you received. There's a card there. There's a place on that card to say, I want to choose to follow Jesus. I prayed with Pastor Willie today. We want to know that. We'd love to give you more information to help you know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And there's a free gift I'd love to give you on this Christmas Eve. A small booklet called The Case for Christmas. You may have questions about this and just want more information. If you'll stop by one of the tables as you leave, we'll give you that book, The Case for Christmas. Give us that card, if you will. And let us know today if you've made that decision to trust and follow Christ. Thank you, oh God, that Christ came, that you sent your Son, that we who fall low in confession and repentance might be raised up to life forevermore in Christ. This is our gracious thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, the Bible says that When Jesus was born, it was a light shining in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. And so on Christmas Eve, one of the great symbols we have at Christmas is is the symbol of lights. We hang them on our trees and on our houses and all kinds of places. You received a candle when you came in. And even now, some of our ushers and volunteers are coming forward to help me. As we on this Christmas Eve take the candle and spread this light, It's a symbol that God sent his own son shining as a light into the world. That light comes into our hearts and it shines in the world. It shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. On this Christmas Eve, you take the light, pass it down until all across the building, our 
candles are lit. And we'll sing out into this Christmas Eve together, the glorious Christmas hymn together, as we celebrate the light of the world that has come for us in Jesus.
behalf of all of us here at Calvary, we wish you and yours a blessed Merry Christmas. God bless you. Merry Christmas. You are dismissed. Amen.